Hello, and welcome to episode 28 of the Ask Mr. DNS podcast. I'm Cricket Lou, sitting here with my co-host, Matt Larson. In the same room. Well, I think we've... Done we've this, done this before a few times. We have. Well, we've taped... We taped at your house once, I remember, and we taped at my office, but I think we've never taped at my house before. <laughs> I think you're right. right. Uh, I was going to say we taped in my office, but that was actually... Dwayne Wessels and I were in my office, right? And you were here, so we've had various combinations. I think that was one of those ill-fated episodes where did somebody lose part? Of it was it? your problem? <laughs> I think it was mine. Right? <laughs> we re- we recorded it twice. The first one is lost to lost to time. Yeah, I don't remember exactly what happened, but I think GarageBand. I think it was that with on that old laptop, GarageBand couldn't always keep up. And it had like a disc underrun or something like that. Yeah. I just hope the second one was better. <laughs> <laughs> if, if we only could restore that first one and yeah. compare. Well, we were very tardy. <laughs> no, I think we should stop making promises and just, just let, our, let our schedule speak for itself. That's right. We'll make our, uh, we'll make our best effort. I, did, I, I looked the other day because I was worried. I was thinking I might not make 1K this year. And uh, I realized that I was at 66,000 miles as of the end of May. So I'm pretty sure I'll, I'll make 1K, unless I'm fired or something. Uh, with just the scheduled travel I have to do between now and the end of the year, I ought to be able to, to do it. Was there a transition in there where you just were talking about miles because we have often talked about travel? No, just because, I, you know, that that's the reason, I think, that we oh, have such I a get hard it time. Got it. Uh, Recording these things is because you travel and I travel, and our travel schedules are not particularly complimentary in most cases. Or they are complimentary, which means that when I'm home, you're, you're abroad, and, uh, and vice versa. But, our, of course, our mutual, mutual acquaintance, Brett, did 50 by February 15th of the, the year or yeah, something. That's so that's crazy. Yeah, that's, that's nuts. Well... Should we get right to it? Sure. Uh, do you have the mailbag <laughs> over Let's there? Look for it. Yeah. You could. Uh, it's the San Jose Mercury News. Oh, here's a mail. piece of mail. Oh, yeah. How does that sound? All right. Um, oh, you can't. Except it's outgoing. It's outgoing. Oh, you can't. Yeah, we, won't, right. we won't rip it open. All right. Well, we do. Uh, have some some questions from readers, which is awfully nice. That, that even though we've <laughs> basically ceased to record, they still send us uh, questions. And we've actually received uh, a variant of this question twice. And uh, this is from uh, Sivan in the UK, and he says, following on the conversation on Twitter with the announcement that the L root servers are moving from CentOS to Ubuntu. Aside from USC, do any other root servers run on a flavor of BSD? Or if you know, what operating systems do the root servers run on? Okay, well, um, considering I work for uh, VeriSign, a root operator, I, 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 I can sort of answer this, I think, although I, I have to say only half-jokingly that the first rule about running a root server is you don't talk about running a root server. <laughs> okay. No, no, in all seriousness, um, there's no, so we'll try to stay away from the uh, political organizational side of this, but there is no single root 
server organization. I mean, there's um, there are individual operators, right. and they they cooperate to to publish the root zone. So there really is no organization that can speak for all the root operators. And as a result, the root operators have this uh, handshake agreement that nobody talks about the other root operators. So, oh. you know, I, I like, like if I even if like I would let another root operator say something about its uh, infrastructure, like ICANN has done here with with Lroot. I, you know, I wouldn't want to say something specifically that I knew about them, even if it were public. You know, it just sort of mm-hmm. is not the not the way the code of conduct goes. But I I can say that one of the things that the um, Root operators, uh, some of them are very quick to point out about the current arrangement of having all these organizations is that you do have a lot of diversity. There's no centralized coordination of what anybody does. Every operator does what they think is technically the best way to provide root name service. And so mm-hmm. that means that you get some of everything. You have uh, some anycast and still some that are only unicast. Mm-hmm. Um, you have you know, I, I know that we have all different kinds of things. You have different implementations. Uh, we have, you have bind and NSD. Right. That's and actually a question that uh, another uh, another uh, listener asked, Yorgos. Yeah, and, and Verisign, we actually run our um, uh, a variant of our Atlas software, which is our, our custom name server. We run that for the root as well. We haven't always, but we have within the within the past few years. So we actually run uh, one of them is Bind and one of them is, is Atlas. So we have sort of diversity between A root and J root. Great. And, you know, I, you know, VeriSign, we have multiple hardware vendors. We have multiple operating systems. Um, so I, I think the answer is uh, the root servers run a little bit of everything and that diversity is widely viewed. And I, I would agree with this as a strength. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if somebody finds some uh, zero-day vulnerability in every version of Bind, then at least the NSDs will still be there or vice versa. Yeah, well, and... and Verisign, we, we do similar with, with .com. I mean, we have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, we don't have any single point of failure. We try not to. I mean, even down to the, the chip architecture, you know, we try to, wow. have, yeah, we try to really have, uh, so that means multiple OSs, multiple hardware vendors, mm-hmm. um, you know, mul- multiple everything. Uh, is, you know, this goes, is it all based on silicon, though? <laughs> yes. There's no computronium involved. I just thought, you know, if you really wanted maximum diversity, yeah. you might not want. But, you know, like uh, multiple router vendors, multiple load balancer vendors. Sure, sure. So. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. All righty. It's one out of the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and relatively quickly. So we have uh, another question that just came in recently uh, from Kent Shuey. Do we, do we say who Kent works for or does he want to be? I think Kent works for a... Uh, or should we say a major aircraft manufacturer <laughs> <laughs> in the uh, in the Northwest? <laughs> so uh, so so Kent is. Uh, I don't think I know Kent, but I know I know cricket. You've known Kent for a long time. Yeah, yeah, good guy. And so he sent us. Uh, he sent a message, and and it's it's kind of long, but I think the indignation in it <laughs> makes it makes it worth reading. I think almost in his in his in its entirety. So okay. So he says, Dear Mr. DNS, I was recently asked to delegate a zone to a device that was installed on my corporate network. This is some kind of NAS box. So um, I guess he means network attached storage box that acts yep. as a load balancer made by <laughs> a company identified by three letters from Einstein's most famous equation. Hmm. Okay. All right. So before doing the delegation, I tried to verify that the device was configured as a proper authoritative name server for that zone. So... I mean, just to, to pause here. So I'm guessing that, you know, this was like www.something.something. It was a web server, and he was going to delegate 
a name. Well, wasn't necessarily a web server. Who knows right. what it's it was? A, it's a NAS. Oh, right. I see. Maybe so. it's you know storage. A storage. Something. Load something. balanced storage. Yeah. Okay. But the point is delegating to a domain name that was right. going to be load balanced. So, um, so it responds to queries for its own Apex name, which would be the name that's being load balanced, as follows. SOA record, refused. NS records, refused. A record, an IP address. I asked the owner to fix his box, and he explained that it was working as designed. The vendor was engaged and said that their box was, quote-unquote, not a name server, but only answers A record queries. This was described as a, quote-unquote, security measure. <laughs> there right. ensued a philosophical discussion regarding whether or not a host that responds to DNS queries and is the requested target of a delegation is, in fact, a, quote-unquote, name server. This got nowhere, so I quoted from RFC 2181, section 6.1, which says that SOA and NS records are mandatory records in every zone. This argument was also unpersuasive. They could not understand my reluctance to delegate the zone. Since this had worked in other environments, there must be something wrong with my DNS. Heavy sigh. So I gave up and did the delegation anyway. And then he describes what the parent zones uh, contains to, to delegate to it, which is just one NS record and one A record. And he mm -hmm. said, I fully expected this to fail, but it worked. My recursive resolving DNS servers respond with an A record for the name in question. When queried for the SOA and NS records, they respond with serve fail. So the, the uh, recursive server is transmuting that uh, refused into a serve, ma serve fail right. downstream. Because it's presumably the only authoritative name server for that zone. It really right. has no choice. Yeah. So although the protocol gods are displeased, the customer's thingy works and he is happy. So my question, why in the heck is this working? Well, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, it seems to me that in the normal case, the non-error case, it would work, right? Because in the non-error case, when you do follow delegation to it and you're asking for an A record, well, you know, it's going to respond in the same way that an authoritative name server would. It's in the various error conditions when it's going to behave in a kind of squirrely way, right? right. If you look, if you ask for an MX record, we, do, we didn't see, Kent didn't say what it, what it did in the event that you queried it for, you know, an RR type other than an A record. Uh, he did say SOA or NS where R code refused, but if, if you looked up an NX record or something like that, presumably it would say refused or who knows, not implemented or something like that. Right, and he also doesn't say uh, for that A record query, are there NS records in the authority section? And I'm almost certainly the answer is no. It'd be just a bare A record in the answer section, which yeah. is a legal response. You don't have to have the uh, NS records. Uh, from the zone apex in the authority section. There's, That's right. That, there's the bind minimal answers, which came in, you track this stuff better than I do. God, I don't even remember. I, it was, it was pr pretty early in bind nine, I think, but I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. And, and in fact, did you know that um, you don't have a choice, that bind always does minimal responses for DNS sec, uh, or for, excuse me, for DNS key queries? Oh, for DNS key queries? All, you always get minimal responses. Oh, I guess just to... Cut down on the size. Well, obviously, cut down on the size. Yeah, and they yeah. so the bind developers have decided that this is protocol legal enough not to include the NS records that they don't do it for always in that one case. Yeah, but I mean, I think in this in, in this situation with this device, the really the really nasty cases are going to be if you're looking up something like a you know another record type. You know, if this thing is, is, is sending back refused, I mean, I guess it's sending back refused and not something like serve fail. If it were sending back serve fail at any point, then that might be cached by a recursive name server, which would then say, oh, well, 
I can't talk to that guy because he's got some sort of a configuration problem. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that would be like, there's nothing, this is, I think yet another case where the resolution process is so woefully underspecified that that's not written down. But I think that would be a reasonable implementation decision to decide, oh, I asked a query for something in the zone. I got serve fail. This particular name server is offline. So I, you know, that, that would be very reasonable. So that, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. I th I'm pretty sure that Bind's ADB, their address database, does uh, include caching of things like serve fail. So you don't waste your time. It makes perfect mm -hmm. sense, right? Yeah. You don't waste your time retrying a query against a name server that's going to respond in exactly the same way. Um, now, of course, that's serve fail. I don't know that any such caching exists for R code refused, which is what this thing apparently is, is responding. I don't know. Philosophically, I think it's just a bad idea to do kind of a half-assed, minimal uh, implementation job with a name server. They can't say this thing isn't a name server and then ask us to delegate to it, right? You yeah. delegate to name servers. Well, I think by existence proof, it's a name server, right? You send a DNS queries and it answers, so therefore it is a name server. Well, it answers some queries, yeah. yeah. And it, it, it's, it, it, there should be, I, I don't know that there, there is anywhere, but there should be a rule that says, hey, if it's going to be delegated to, then it has to be a functional name server, at least a minimal implementation, whatever that is. And answering refused to something like, you know, a query for an SOA record, which has to exist within the delegated zone, is, is as far as I'm concerned, not protocol compliant. Yeah, and especially since this would be so easy. This thing knows what its name is. So it could it could yeah. synthesize an NS record with no trouble. Right. Likewise, it could synthesize an SOA record with sensible values. So or you could just configure those things. They could it could it could have defaults, you know. Yeah. It, well, could, no, allow, it could allow you to reconfigure the the name in the NS record. Yeah, I'm arguing that that you don't even I mean, that would be nice, but I'm arguing that's more work, right? So, <laughs> right, right, right. So I'm saying they don't even need to do that. That just by its current configuration, it could, could be protocol compliant. Yeah, with, yeah. With no extra configuration work. It just sounds like somebody was lazy yes. in the implementation. Somebody cut corners and said, oh, well, that's not important to the functionality. But it is important to DNS. It is important to, to the, the, the Internet's namespace, or in this case, maybe uh, Kent's employer's corporate namespace, that name servers respond in predictable ways, and this mm -hmm. is not particularly predictable. Yeah, so it would be interesting to mock up. You could use um, NetDNS and Perl to mock up a little server that responded like this, and then uh, see how different recursive <laughs> servers respond. Yeah, let it let it loose into the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Let's see. So. Um, so so Kent continues, but I think we've kind of already covered this. Uh, he says a secondary question, which he does not expect Mr. DNS to have an authoritative answer for, but would enjoy a digression on. Well, we're good at that. <laughs> we're better at digression yeah. than, than the opposite. How can a major vendor of IT equipment be so clueless about DNS and ship a product which blatantly violates the protocol? DNS must have been created by tolerant and generous gods. Well, so I think we have already touched on that. But, you know, I, I think this whole violating the protocol thing is... You know, be okay, so he does quote RFC 2181. It'd be interesting. I don't know what that says off the top of my head. It'd be interesting to go look at what that says. But what I was going to say is echo something I said earlier, which is so much of this stuff is just not well specified. Yes, that, that's right. You know, I, I have some sympathy for somebody who doesn't do DNS at all. They're just some poor schmo who in their inbox one day there is, is an assignment that says, you know, you need to write uh, code that, answers on UDP 53 with, uh, right, you know, right. with, with, to this, to this thing. Yeah. We haven't even talked about TCP. I'm guessing this doesn't do TCP queries. 
Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And then there's a postscript here. He says, he says, thanks for the great podcast. I recently caught up on it during a 14 hour drive, which I guess makes Mr. DNS kind of like Neil Cassidy to my Jack Kerouac. Oh, that's very generous. That is. And I happen to know that on that drive, he was actually driving down here to the Bay Area to to see Infoblox. Did he have anybody with him? Was he inflicting Mr. DNS on nice I don't, I don't fellow think so. passengers? I don't think so, uh, luckily. <laughs> so, all righty. What else do we have here? An abundance of riches, actually, because that, that question came in, uh, and then the very next day, we got a question from uh, a Todd Larson, no relation, I might add. So he's L-A-R-S-E-N, so he's probably a a Danish Larson as opposed to a Swedish oh, Larson. Oh, I see, I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Todd reports, and oh, look at his uh, look at his email. I just now noticed that he's coming to us from dns-research.com. Yes, yes, I who, saw that before. Who are they and what do they do? I, do, I hope they do DNS <laughs> research. <laughs> All right, so Todd writes, since I'm in the enviable position of having some time and resources to research DNS topics. I have a couple quick questions for Mr. DNS now and probably several more, several more to come. Well, first off, please please send us more. We, we have the, um, the example. Who, who did we do the lightning round? What was that guy's name? Do you recall? Oh, gosh, yeah. The guy who sent in all those questions. I don't remember who it was. Okay. But well, it was, anyway, it was but, fun. Yeah, so yeah. there's a precedent. There's a precedent for sending many questions and getting many questions answered or at least you know what passes for an answer multiple here. multiple queries in the in the question section there we go um, all right so so Todd's first question is uh, are there open events to see what's being discussed about the current issues with DNS or DNSSEC or new directions people are considering well I mean certainly one of those open events if you're actually looking for an event would would be IETF um, although of course that has uh, generally speaking more to do with sort of how the standards are evolving, unless you're on the sort of operations side of things, in which case you might actually hear some discussion of, you know, the problems people are seeing, uh, you know, misbehavior of implementations, that sort of thing. Yeah, so there, do you want to talk about the two working groups and you know what's happening to DNSEXT, right? DNSEXT, tell me, I, I haven't been ITF in a while. Yeah, well, so so for a long time, there have been two DNS working groups, two long-lived working groups, and, and long-lived working groups kind of in the ITF don't always work out real well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, one of them is DNS extensions, which works on the protocol, and the other is DNS operations, which, which works on, well, operational best practices. Right. And uh, DNS extensions is actually shutting down. Uh, oh. Because uh, the, sort of the thinking is it really has served its purpose. There's just now not enough protocol work on an ongoing basis. Mm-hmm. The DNS, DNS sec is behind us. And so the thinking is that if there's DNS work that needs to be done, it should do like any, anything else in the ITF, which is justify the need for a working group, mm-hmm. you know, have a birds of a feather session, you know, go through the whole working group formation process. Because right. otherwise right. you just have this kind of dumping ground and people were hanging out there and, and not always doing a lot of work. You know, it's really easy to be on the mailing <laughs> list yeah. and, and plant your butt in a chair. But then when it comes time to who's going to review the document, mm-hmm. you know, then then you don't always get get people. And that's what was happening. So as of, uh, you know, well, as of now, basically, it's really only the DNS operations group that's actually active in the ITF. Right. And there's some uh, work that's being done that's relevant to DNS, but it's being done outside of DNS AXT, right? Like the Dane work is being done in a different working group entirely. Yeah, dedicated to it. Yeah, Exactly. Um, The other thing I would mention is just that 
if Todd is interested in sort of tracking what's happening with uh, DNS and DNSSEC on a more frequent basis, not attending a particular event, there are mailing lists that he can join. Um, there's a DNS operations mailing list that he can join, which you know tends to cover uh, these days a fair amount of DNSSEC-related um, traffic, as well as the old Bind Users mailing list. And Bind Users still has some DNSSEC-related stuff, although it's sort of you know at this point implementation specific, specific to Bind. Yeah, so I mean it's Bind Dash Users. If you Google for that, I'm sure that comes up. If it's DNS Dash Operations and it's ORC OARC is the uh, DNS ORC that we've talked about many times, they they host that mailing list. You know, it's it's arguably probably the most useful thing ORC does. Not that ORC <laughs> doesn't do useful things, but that's like in terms of providing value to the community, that's probably the the, the biggest thing. Um, so so while we were talking, it occurs to me Nanog, uh, the North American Network Operators Group, which is really wider than just North America, although it's mm-hmm. principally North America. Um, there, it's mostly um, uh, routing focused. Right. Historically, right. but you know there are um, you will see DNS come up there, and there's mm-hmm. there's a DNS track usually that that um, that uh, that for each meeting. So you know it, I wouldn't say go to Nanog if you were only interested in DNS and not other stuff. But mm-hmm. and you can also subscribe to the Nanog mailing list um, yeah. and get yeah. kind of a pulse of the internet. That that really is like if there were any mailing list for. Uh, internet operations, it would be it would be nano. I mean, there's like ten thousand people or something on yeah, that list. Yeah, it's, it's a big, huge. It's a huge list. Yeah. So. Okay. Good. Good. And then uh, Todd asks a second question. I've heard that you can't have other resource records for a domain name that is a C name. I guess he means that owns a C name, mm-hmm. right? Except DNSSEC or SIG records, which are just uh, authenticating the record. Does Dane's TLSA resource record change this rule? I guess he, there's also NSEC and NSEC three, which, yeah. which are also exceptions to the rule because they would give you the next uh, next domain name in the the sorted zone. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the short answer is uh, is no. So now let's let's give the background, uh, hopefully briefly. So the Dane working group DNS is, uh, or excuse me, Dane is domain authentication of named entities. Right. And that is uh, basically putting certificates in DNS and using DNSSEC to authenticate those certificates. And the actual record that you put in is the TLSA, as in TLS authentication. And the TLSA record can, it can be used in multiple different ways, but the, the short answer is it's, it's a certificate about a domain name in DNS. Right. And uh, you don't actually need to worry about the CNAME rule because it doesn't actually go at the domain name where the CNAME is. It works like SRV records, and it's prefixed. Mm-hmm. So, um, so let's say you want to put, uh, you want to associate a record with www.example.com, uh, and let's say that this is for a web server running, uh, listening on port 443, mm-hmm. which is you know the standard uh, SSL port. So the actual record would go at um, underscore 443. underscore tcp. www.example.com. Right. So it goes at that prefix name, not. So if www.example.com has a C name, that's fine. Because this is at a at another name, completely separate. Yeah, although that name is a subdomain, it of, is of the one that owns the C name record. But that's that's still okay. Yeah. Wow. So we steamed through well questions from three different folks, which I thought was pretty good. Yeah. And we actually attended to a couple of them quickly, promptly, <laughs> which I, 
people people are going to have their minds blown. I'm going to pat myself on the back. The dozen people who still listen to the podcast yeah. are going to be astounded, I think. Right. Well, what do you think? Should we should we wrap it up? Sure, sure. I think it's a good length. No more no more digressions. All right. So um, we really do appreciate your questions. Every every podcast episode is proof that we do uh, we do read them. We're not making this stuff up. But please, <laughs> if you don't send them to us, we can't answer them. Uh, so the email address to send them to is Mr. DNS. That's MRDNS at ask dash MrDNS.com. So until next time, see you then. Bye. Bye-bye.